0: Hi everyone, and welcome back to another episode of New Books in East Asian Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Ed Pulford, one of the hosts of the channel. On the podcast today, we have Paul Wang, who is Helene and Alvin Allen Chair in Literature at Brandeis University, where he's also an Assistant Professor in Chinese Literature. And he'll be talking about his book, The Translatability of Revolution, Raw and 20th Century Chinese Culture which was published in 2018 by Harvard University Asia Center. With the world connected like never before, the translatability or untranslatability of ideas and concepts across borders and between languages is as current a topic as ever. One complication today, as people in East Asia, the West, and myriad other locations try to communicate, is the fact that our conversations have to operate through many accreted layers of previous translations. When a Chinese person talks to a German, an American, a Kenyan, or anyone from anywhere else about the government or society or history, how can anyone be sure whether they've reached a common understanding? Pu Wang's book sheds light on just such highly relevant themes, but the translatability of revolution is about a great deal more than this. Being not only the first full study of the whole life of Guo Mordor, a man whom Deng Xiaoping eulogised as a writer poet, dramatist, Marxist historian, paleographer, revolutionist, and cultural fighter, this is a work which delves deep into questions of intercultural and interlinguistic contact, friction, and accommodation, showing the centrality of such concerns to revolutionary politics and to modern China specifically. Wang's skills in weaving together Guo's extraordinarily voluminous and diverse work, from translations of Goethe and Shelley to interpretations of Shang oracle bones, and the enormous uh, scope of the book must owe something to the author's own compound identities as a poet, translator, and a professor, as I mentioned, of Chinese literature. At once personally intimate and very broad in scope, this book goes well beyond the life of one man to paint a revealing picture of Chinese culture in the age of revolution and the innumerable influences that shaped it. From ancient Chinese script and poetry, through German and English romanticism, Soviet politics, and the harsh material realities of modern urban life and warfare. But in any case, the author himself will do a much better job of describing all this and bringing it all together, so I'll say Pu Wang. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi Ed, uh, thank you so much for having me on this uh, podcast channel of uh, new books in East Asian Studies.
0: Well thank you very much for, uh, for joining us. Uh, but uh, and and I, I guess uh, your own background, as I mentioned, is pretty relevant to this whole project. So sure. uh, perhaps I could begin by asking you to uh, provide us with a bit of a, a sort of self archaeology, uh, something about your own background. Oh, wow! Yeah. How you how you got interested in and Questions of translation.
1: Yeah. Um, so uh, Gomorrah is a project uh, that has everything to do with my own kind of uh, uh, intellectual formation. I received my BA and MA. Uh, at, be- at Peking University, also known as Beida. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, in my training, uh, my main focus was modern Chinese poetry. And I was an active uh, uh, campus uh, uh, a poet and uh, literary uh, uh, organizer. And uh, that's where I started to be highly interested uh, in the modernist tradition of Chinese poetry in the uh, 20th century. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in my uh, PhD training at NYU, my interest is, uh, shifted towards the question of translation and especially the question of translation in relations to uh, the theme of revolution in the Chinese context. So mm-hmm. eventually I end up with the question of Guo because because Guo work, uh work uh, as controversial as it be, uh, is the best example of this uh, combination and tension uh, between translation and revolution.
0: I see, I see. And in terms of your own, your personal activities, as you mentioned as a poet back at at your time in Beida, um, has that continued uh, through to your your life in the US, in New York, and, and now at Brandeis too?
1: Uh yes, I continue to, to, to write, uh continue my work uh, as a creative poet. Uh but the thing I, I I I would like to mention is that I only write in Chinese and uh mm-hmm. I, I will never try my hands uh on poetic translation, uh, especially after studying uh Guomo uh, because I now I realize how challenging uh, uh it is to be a poetic translator. But I am working as a uh, uh as an academic translator. I'm currently translating Walter Benjamin's uh, 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 critical biography into uh, Chinese.
0: All oh, right. Wow. And that, that's for so, sort of market back in China. I mean, you, you're, your your translations into Chinese are for, for a Chinese audience predominantly.
1: Yes. And uh, uh, this seems to be a kind of uh, a, a translation uh, a theory, ABC. That is, you can only translate into your native town. You can never translate out of your native town. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah in that regard uh I will I will call uh, Gomorru as uh as a as a kind of uh a colleague of mine but Gomorru had had a more ambitious uh kind of career uh dealing with poetic translation uh, an area as you you may imagine uh, is highly mm-hmm. controversial in any language yeah sure yeah
0: and we'll get onto that in a sec uh, but actually your your link there to Gomorru it uh, brings me to I guess one one final question I have out of curiosity about your own work. Um, of mm-hmm. course, Guo's uh, career was transformed by moving around a great deal, by spending time in, in Japan and many other many other places that we'll discuss. But I just wonder, um, has how, how has your own creative output shifted by being based in the United States compared to when you were back in China? Do you feel like there are different thematic focuses that arise because definitely, of that? Definitely. I,
1: yeah, I think th- that's definitely the case. And... Uh, uh, living and studying uh, in the United States brought a totally new dimension to my creative writing and a to- totally uh, kind of uh, a different self-consciousness of writing in uh, a Chinese mm. as a poet. Mm. And uh, I am still kind of uh, 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 struggling with uh, this kind of interesting uh, uh, situation uh, in which I, I find myself that is writing uh, a Chinese uh, 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 modernist poetry uh, in an uh, English-speaking world uh, uh, that in a uh, uh, that is a kind of a typical global uh, uh, a scenario of uh, 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 transit travel and uh, uh intimate uh, unconscious uh, self-translation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you find your kind of everyday cultural experiences.
0: did you Exactly. Find
1: that they- yeah, I yeah. yeah. and also it's it's about uh, uh every part of uh our existence as a uh, 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 linguistic animal. I think mm. uh that is uh I I deal with the the bilingual situation in my classroom in my uh in my own life at home, at work and everywhere. So mm. uh and of course that's a very intimate part. I don't want to be fully uh, conceptual about, uh, but definitely that's that's very important right now to my to my own kind of work as a poet, and I think uh, that 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 is a kind of a global uh, situation for all of us. That is, we mm. all are uh, we are all living in a condition of translation, mm. uh, invisible translation and visible translation. And well, I don't think being lost in translation is a bad thing. I started to really appreciate that kind of a uh, uh, life experience.
0: That's that's wonderful, and I well, I think there's something deeply anthropological there too, in a sense.
1: That, right, exactly. Kind of, yeah, you're,
0: you're living every day. The uh, the very the, the, the subject of your work is is somewhat difficult to uh, to disentangle from your everyday life. Um, exactly. But we'll, yeah. Uh, we'll jump into that that subject now. Uh, I think, and, and right. the book itself. Um, you uh, you begin with a, an introduction which sets out some of the main ideas and uh, also gives us a, an outline of of Guo's life um, as mm-hmm. you've already alluded to. He's a he's a pretty complex figure and, and someone who has been subject to no shortage of uh, controversy. Um, and so I wonder if actually you could just begin by giving us uh, painting a bit of a picture of uh, of Guo the man and 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 the, the the creative force uh, and the translator and everything else. Could can you just outline his his bio actually to, to start us off?
1: Sure. Yeah. You know, uh, like I mentioned, uh, I, I started to read Guo Moruo when I was a college student because uh, he was a must read. A uh, must read uh, uh, as he was a uh, a a founding figure of Chinese a uh, modern Chinese poetry that is vernacular uh, free verse Chinese poetry. He started as this uh, lyrical champion of uh, modern Chinese romanticism, and he ended up being uh, Mao Zedong's last poetic interlocutor. And that trajectory itself was something really kind of uh, controversial uh, in every sense. And in, in addition, he also uh, emerged in the middle of his career as a leading a pioneering uh, a Marxist historian. And his contribution to, uh, to the studies of oracle bones and uh, uh, bronze uh, inscriptions uh, totally changed the field of uh, interpretative archaeology in China. In addition, yeah, and in addition, he's devoted almost three decades of his life to translating Goethe's Faust into Chinese. And then that's where I I was... I was totally kind of uh, astonished by the scope of his work, but in the meantime, I was totally uh, fascinated with it because I realized if you want to study poetry, translation, history, and revolution, wow, that's the place to start.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and so, so he was. Yeah, could you could you give us a, a bit more of a sense of where, where was he born and and what, what, where did he study and what was kind of going on in his, in his early life that set him off? Yeah.
1: That. And, and uh, Goumero's own life uh, and uh, I would call it a life story. Uh, is it has itself become a myth of uh, modern Chinese literature and culture in both uh, a good sense and a bad sense uh, because he wrote a lot of uh, biographical works. So my, my, my storyline, uh, uh, Owes, owes a lot to, to his own kind of uh, self-glorification. Uh, uh, so he was born in the Sichuan province uh, in mm-hmm. a uh, provincial town and into a very wealthy uh, uh, countryside uh, merchant uh, family. So he received a half modern, half traditional education because uh, 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 he lived in the age, he was born in uh, 1892. So he lived in the age of the decline and the final collapse of uh, the last uh, imp- uh, imperial dynasty of China, that is Qing Dynasty. Mm. So uh, when he was a high school student, the Qing Dynasty uh, uh, was overthrown by the revolutionaries, and he witnessed uh, 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 the founding of the First Republic of China. And then uh, escaping a family and, uh, uh, of uh, the arranged marriage he uh, uh, tried to to uh, uh, seek uh, higher education in Japan. There, he stayed for, for almost ten years for his higher education. So he learned Japanese, and he want, He be, uh, he became an uh, a medical student uh, at uh, uh, Imperial uh, uh, University, the best uh, 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 public university uh, system uh back then in Japan on the uh, Kyushu uh campus mm. and because he was a medical student he learned latin and german that's how you became a doctor back back then in Japan and mm. uh, uh, uh his textbooks for uh german uh language actually was german literature of goethe and schiller and there mm. he also uh met uh his uh uh, uh true love, first love, uh, uh, and uh, uh, he got got into this uh, common law marriage with a Japanese uh, uh, young girl and uh, a love story that will lead to a lot of controversy as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Well, we'll, uh, we'll perhaps uh, revisit that in a second. But um, I just wonder, um, you mentioned that, that this pretty interesting context in which he was uh, a medical student, as you say, and someone who was – uh, learning German for medical purposes, but via uh, classic literature, sure. uh, or, or texts which today are certainly considered classic works of German literature. Um, is is your impression of him uh, that he was a sort of linguistic prodigy? Was he, do you think, exceptionally talented when it came to ling- something as simple as, or not simple, but uh, something as kind of um, fundamental as language acquisition? Um mastering japanese german english um or or how did he manage uh all of this do you think was it more to do with just being needing to because of the circumstances mm-hmm. or was he a very talented linguist in your in your personal impression
1: you know well oh. when i finished this book uh, when i started to 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 uh uh try to sell this book to a uh, to a lot of uh uh, 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 a scho- scholars and colleagues who are pretty c- critical of uh, Gomorro 's uh, life, especially when it comes to Guo uh, uh, political decisions. Mm. Uh, they, they kind of uh, uh, they, they, they were kind of uh, surprised by, by my focus on this uh, controversial figure, but they will always uh, concede one point, that is, Guo is a genius uh so uh in my view uh, for, for me you know uh, uh from a totally biographical perspective i was totally uh uh amazed by the fact that uh uh how fast he learned uh, uh certain languages and how fast he was uh, uh as a uh, a literary translator and uh, I will give you uh, uh three examples so when he went to japan uh to try to seek opportunities of higher education. He has zero Japanese, uh, uh, except uh, some kind of very limited uh, exposure to Japanese uh, uh, courses back in his high school years. Uh, So uh, that was his last chance of uh, 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 receiving a scholarship. So he worked really hard. And Mm -hmm. then uh, uh, he made a huge turnaround and the really fast turnaround when he uh, 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 succeeded in the entrance exam for the uh, government stipends of uh, uh, imperial uh, uh, university system. So mm-hmm. by government stipends, that's a kind of uh, 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 agreement between uh, Japanese imperial government and the Chinese Republic government back then. So if mm-hmm. you pass uh, that examination, you will receive government uh, scholarship. So that was the first uh first time uh, you know uh, we see uh, uh as a really fast learner of language. Uh the other example is is totally uh, is totally different. That is his uh uh, uh uh work on the classical language. Uh that is he according to his autobiography he spent uh he he in in a time frame of less than uh, four months. Uh, He finished the studies of all the works of uh, previous uh, 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 pre-existing scholarships on oracle bones uh, 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 inscriptions. And Mm -hmm. he started to decipher the oracle bones inscriptions uh, himself, and he succeeded Mm -hmm. in many Mm -hmm. cases. This is totally surprising. Uh, for many experts, but of course we could find some uh, kind of uh, 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 reasons because he was already well versed in uh, traditional Chinese for sure. He had Mm. a really solid philological education, but uh, think about that. uh, Arco bones uh, were the most important uh, archaeological discovery uh, Mm. of uh, 20th century China. So Mm. it was Back then, it was recently unearthed and recovered uh, 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 from many sources. And so Guo was not trained as a scholar. He was a poet. He was a political activist. And when he wanted to try his hands uh, on historical materials as a Marxist, all of a sudden he emerged as a major kind of uh, 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 contributor to this new field. Mm, mm. Uh, Well, yeah, go ahead. Uh, and you know in terms of his german i think i he he might be that's the last example i will give he might uh, he might have been a, a a poor german speaker but uh his his german uh, uh reading knowledge and his appreciation of uh, german uh, literature culture and history was just amazing and in that regard i think uh, he could also be seen uh, as, a, uh, as a as a as a as another kind of pathbreaker uh, in Chinese scholarship on, on German literature.
0: Mm, mm. Well that's uh, yeah, that's pretty uh pretty fascinating stuff. As you say, especially given this somewhat complicated uh legacy and kind of uh, post-um, I guess, uh post-hoc judgments that much of uh, uh scholarship has, has reached about him, or or indeed of what of, of public opinion has has come to think of him uh within China and, and among those who who uh, have studied Chinese culture and, and politics in the 20th century. Sure. Um, he died in 1978. And what has his... I mean, you've already uh, alluded to it a little, but could you say something more about his legacy and interpretations of his life and, and where some of these controversies have come from and why he's been seen as something of a complex, uh, at, at best, <laughs> figure?
1: Sure, yeah. And, of course, uh, so from... the from this kind of uh, 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 life life scope, you we can see, you know, uh, had a long life, mm-hmm. and uh, he his uh, 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 life story was imperfect overlapping with the whole period of Chinese of so-called short century of Chinese revolution. The the most. Uh, 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 most uh, uh transformative period of uh, uh 20th century uh, uh china. That mm-hmm. is the period from the May 4th uh, uh period to the end of the Cultural Revolution. So he even uh, survived Cultural Revolution. And uh the the most important uh uh aspect of his life was not only uh uh about this overlapping with this age, but also because of his total embrace of the period of revolution. So yeah. he made the decisive uh, a turn to the left uh, in the second half of 1920s. And when uh, the Communist Party membership meant the risk of life uh, due to the, a split of the first alliance between the communist and nationalist uh, in 1927, uh, he applied for communist membership uh, in the same year. Mm-hmm. And then he had a 10-year uh, exile in Japan because he was one of the most uh, uh wanted uh, uh political quote unquote criminals uh by the nationalist nationalist government of Jiangishu even though he worked uh, 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 as Jiang Jish's secretary. secretary. Mm. Mm. And then he was uh, deeply involved in the second alliance of uh, the nationalist and communist, uh, the, the, the anti-Japanese alliance. But in this alliance, he played a decisively uh, a, a pro-communist role. And here... The most controversial period of his life started. That is, he was promoted by the Communist Party as the flag bearer of "quote unquote" progressive culture of China, and he was pro- uh, he was ele- uh, ele- uh, elected as the president of uh, the in- the in- inaugural president of uh, Academy of Science uh, after the founding of the People's Republic. He was the vice chairman of the People's Congress uh, for a brief uh, period of time. He was also uh, a vice premier. And he decided to support all the major uh, 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 projects and agendas of Mao Zedong. Mm-hmm. And he decided to uh, do a thorough self-criticism Uh, at the very beginning of the Cultural Revolution. And finally, he decided to uh, 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 stick to this Maoist uh, 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 ideal of revolution toward the end of his life. Mm -hmm. So in that regard, especially when we uh, read uh, uh, Mao Zedong's uh, 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 poetic conversations with uh, Guo Moruo, it is safe to say that Guo Ru's work, Guo Moreau's intellectual contribution to Maoism, uh, helped uh, establish the cult of personality of Mao. So uh, many uh, scholars and critics who are extremely, uh, 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 cons- ex- uh, extremely critical of the Maoist legacies in China, uh, would would like to see uh Guomo Ruo as not only a kind of uh uh, uh a major player in, in Maoist culture, but also see him as a kind of uh opportunist mm-hmm. in the ever-changing uh, uh political uh uh uh, uh climate uh mm-hmm. in Mao's China. So there you can imagine how controversial it is. Yeah, no, that, that I think those kinds of
0: associations, yeah, understandably, uh, are not uh, not to everyone's liking by any means. Um, but I think that's a real strength of this book, as you point out yourself. Um, previous biographies of which there have been a couple usually stop quite early on in his career. Sure, but, yeah. Uh, in a way, by periodizing it as you do, and I really like this um, kind of framing uh, as you as you have it of the long Chinese Revolution running from May the fourth up to. Forty nine and, and even beyond, and also this short twentieth century, which you kind of also highlight, that, that is contained within those years of sort of uh, tumult and, and, and revolution in China, um, perhaps uh, you know, ending in the uh, after the death of Mao. Um, sure. But uh, yeah, as I think in tackling all of this long, long life of of war. Uh, you you are taking on something that uh, is understandably a pretty daunting prospect, um, uh, given the given the controversies and the and just that you know anyone involved in anything for so long during this period in China was going to be doing a very large amount of pretty you know going to have to do a lot of pretty mad stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, one would one would suggest. So yeah. uh, I think it, it's a great it's a great project because you take on everything. Um, and perhaps we'll, we should uh, we should get into it now, having having got a bit more of a picture of uh, your take on, on Guo the man and and, and his life. Um, sure. So uh, the book is divided into two parts which respectively deal uh, with translation and, and, and translation of both foreign works and of, of ancient Chinese uh, literature and so on. Um, and then secondly, part two uh, treats historical interpretation and some mm-hmm. of this more, uh, I guess, um, uh, conceptual questions of of uh, historiography and, and and also the place of some of his work on on, on classical poetry and so on um, yeah. in, uh, in forming his uh, sort of revolutionary ideas and, and, and also literary output. But uh, we'll start with uh, the, the the first part, um, and you begin us in in chapter one with some questions of his poetry, and specifically, uh, I really like this image you conjure up of him um, using apostrophe in poetry and addressing. Uh, p- poems that start by addressing something directly, oh, something. You know this kind of uh, poetic form, um, and, and and him as almost a, like a shaman conjuring up uh, inanimate objects in, in modern society, bringing them to life. Um, so, can we get into more detail, perhaps, uh, or could you give us something a, a picture of the interaction between uh, his poetic processes in some of these uh, some of these poems you highlight from earlier in his life? And and the Chinese politics that he is getting involved in.
1: Sure. Yeah. So in 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 the first part, and also especially in in, in chapter one, I really want to uh, 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 lay the foundation of a of a of a lyrical politics that I think that will would really help us uh, understand uh, 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 not only Guo Ruo's life work, but also the 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 condition uh, uh, under which. Uh, uh the chinese revolution uh was always uh also a kind of uh a, a literary uh, uh arena uh uh of the political so uh you know we were just talking about how controversial Gomorro is and the major uh, 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 uh the, the the major blame uh, we have today uh and also a kind of headache for anyone uh, who wants to st- uh, who want to uh, study Guo Ruo really seriously? Uh, is that uh, Guo Ruo changes uh, uh, his positions in his writing, in his uh, 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 focus of uh, 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 in his focus of uh, uh, creation from literature to to politics and then to historiography, and uh, from his aesthetic uh, styles. Uh, from poetry to drama, and finally to to class, uh, to back to a uh, uh, classical literature, is, is something that is so uh, uh, flexible uh, uh, and so uh, kind of uh, 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 constant uh, that uh, one can hardly come uh, uh, come in terms uh, with it. So, I I think that origin can be uh, the, its its origin can be found. English, early romanticism. And this early romanticism is also very uh, uh, controversial, not in the political sense, but in a kind of uh, 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 stylistic sense. That is, in our age, you know, that kind of uh, highly uh, 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 lyrical romanticism seems a little bit embarrassing. You know, when we think about literature, when we when we want to uh, 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 read a good poem from uh, journals like Paris Review or, or New Yorker, uh, we don't expect that kind of uh, apostrophic gesture. <laughs> that is, ah, my 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 earth, are ah, the Pacific. You know, you <laughs> don't see that kind of Whitmanian kind of uh, 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 heroic uh, uh, or Shelian kind of uh, 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 romantic, sentimental image of the self. Uh, th- but that's how uh, Chinese uh, modern Chinese poetry started with Guo Moruo, and mm. Guo really con- uh, really uh, contributed this lyrical self-image uh, to uh, this very new tradition uh, uh, in Chinese literature. And for me, this uh, moment that may seem embarrassing to modern to contemporary readers might be the Place where we can find the secrets of that lyrical politics, and mm-hmm. that's why you know uh, Guo Ruo eventually emerged as a kind of uh, a, a lyrical voice and evolved into so many other uh, uh, so many other uh, uh, domains and uh, arena of uh, uh, intellectual, literary, and political uh, creativity. I think. Apostrophe is something uh, 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 out out of date out of date for us, but its logic of calling uh, for some something, calling upon the name of the sublime, and identifying yourself uh, with a larger world is a kind of condition, a lyr- lyrical literary condition. For the whole kind of uh, 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 process of China's uh, trans- uh, self transformation in the twentieth century,
0: mm, mm. I, I think I think you you bring out well there the, the the fact that so often all the way through this book and all the way through Guo's life, it's, it's kind of as though everything is always going on at once. You have multiple uh, uh, sort of layers of, of artifacts from different literary styles, from different historical periods, from different political traditions. Often all kind of present in the in the life, at least the way it seems to to me, uh, having having read it, they're all kind of jostling within his um, uh, within his sort of life world simultaneously, and I, I think uh, that, as you say, perhaps furnishes with us, us with a sense of where a lot of this uh, later complication and, and seemingly maddening flexibility comes from. Um, yeah. So yeah, you you kind of discussed some of this early poetic work as. Uh, being part of the emergence of of ideas of revolutionary literature uh, within this tradition of may the 4th uh movement which of course uh celebrating an important anniversary this year um and also the emergence of the idea of a, a zeitgeist or the shudai jingshen you, you, yes a chinese version of it could you say a bit more i mean this is obviously relevant to the to the sort of specifically german dimension to his creative work um what 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 is this zeitgeist thing what, what is how does Guo understand this and what what does this sort of say about chinese politics at the time
1: yeah so like like i mentioned in the in in the introduction of course zeitgeist was uh, a keyword of uh, german romanticism and uh, historicism so eventually uh, according to many uh, cultural and intellectual historians zeitgeist the spirits of the times uh, the spirit the spirits of uh, the age uh, has become part of uh, modern historical consciousness. That is, uh, we believe that there is a an essential kind of uh, a spirit of uh, this or that period of time. So, of course, uh, you know, uh, in our kind of uh, postmodernist contest, uh, we feel, wow, this is uh, uh, too much uh, essentialism. It's, it's taigeist is definitely not some some kind of uh, uh, ideology uh we would like to 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 embrace uh, uh in our own kind of historical thinking anymore but for uh Gomorrah's generation uh and for the whole kind of uh, uh, revolutionary period of twentieth uh, century china uh taigeist was the key word and mm-hmm. it really summarized uh the major kind of motive and drive toward change, toward uh, transformation, toward revolutionary radical kind of remaking of self and society. Mm. Uh, So I wanted to uh, 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 uncover this word, this key word from that historical period uh, not to uh, recuperate its uh, value, but to use it as a kind of lens to uh, examine that historical period, especially how this concept uh, was uh, uh, was conjured up and conceptualized uh, 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 in uh, uh, the works uh, of Guo and uh, the like-minded Chinese. So think about this German word, Zeit means time, and uh, Geist means spirit. So actually... What what do uh, what did uh, revolutionary uh, Chinese in- intellectuals think of the time and what did they think of the spirituality? So uh, these are the interesting questions. And in the fir- uh, chapter one, you know, the link I wanted to 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 point to is Guo Monroe's, uh deep identification with the work of Shelley. And we know that in Shelley's *In Defence of Poetry*, uh, uh, a very important uh, uh, poetic, uh, uh, romantic uh, uh, theory, a uh, theor- theoretical writing, uh, Shelley believes poetry is the unconscious manifestation of the spirit of the age. So we have this English version of the uh, zeitgeist. Mm -hmm. And Guo Moruo takes one step further in his uh, 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 use of Shelley's uh, concept. That is, we can be the conscious manifestation of the spirit. That is, we can be the revolutionary voice. And this is the most fascinating part because we know that for uh, uh, the romantics, the Dominant uh, for, for British romantics, the dominant metaphor is the lyre, is the uh, 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 wind harp. Mm-hmm. So the wind, the history, will give us music, and the poets are the instruments. And for Guo Moruo and many other uh, Chinese ro- r- romantic revolutionary uh, 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 writers, their metaphor is gramophone. Mm. So it's a more kind of a technically uh, a modernized version of the instrument. Mm. But we we see, uh, when we look at this metaphor, it's interesting because you become a, an instrument of the revolution. But at the same time, by becoming somehow an instrument, you attain self-consciousness. So this, mm. uh, on the one hand, you don't have your own ego. On the other hand, your ego is sublimated. Your Mm -hmm. ego uh, uh, attains uh, uh, the the, the highest uh, kind of consciousness. I think that can be traced back to the the apostrophic gesture that is, I want to identify with the universe, I want to identify with the revolution, I want to identify with, in Shellysk, the West Wind, let me be you. And then Mm -hmm. that means I'm no longer myself. I don't have my ego, but on the other hand, that means my ego is empowered. So I think that politics is uh, uh, at the at the root of China's imagination of what is the spirit of the age, and the answer is that's the revolutionary change. The revolutionary change being the spirit of the age, and you need to be the instrument of that revolutionary change. Mm. And it, well, it's and it's it's absolutely
0: fantastic the way you yeah the way you kind of recover some sense of the the immediacy and the vividness I guess of that yes uh, of that experience because of course as as we've already mentioned what subsequently happened made it quite easy to forget that there was this uh, this real romanticism this lyricism at the beginning of everything um, that yeah maybe later got very clouded with all kinds of other uh, more, mm. well pretty pretty devastating events of course um, and, sure and. I, uh, moving into chapter 2 you really provide i think a very powerful sense with with the uh, the context of of the era and you give a really good biographical sense of how it was that Gore was so embedded in the uh, in the age if you like you know you you provide a lot of very rich uh, detail of of what was going on in his personal life and how this was ex- uh, influencing his expanding intellectual and political outlook um so i'd i'd uh, point listeners in the direction of that because it, it kind of Provides a great pair for this um, uh, sense of of how how terms like Zeitgeist uh, were coming to have relevance for him, and you also uh, give another really great account of the, uh, the his, Gore and the Creation Society, his his sort of some of his intellectual confrères of the time, and some of the other German terms that they brought into Chinese. Many of them sort of transli- trans- trans- transcribed via sound rather than rather than meaning, as Zeitgeist was, and it, again gives a really um, vivid sense of the way that these ideas were moving from uh german and english thinking and, and indeed poetry and 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 politics and everything into chinese at the time um uh, words that subsequently died out or were replaced by Japanese yes borrowings and so on um so uh, again we don't really have time to go into that so much in detail but i just um i just highlight it along the way um and then i thought we could go on to, to chapter three here where you really get into this um Really, life work of Guo um, in in the translation sphere—that uh, is, Goethe's Faust, uh, which uh, he spent thirty years of his life, spanning the decades from 1919 and all the way up to 1949. Um, you, you you say an awful lot about this this process of translation, including uh, about language and poetic form, um, and and how there may even within this be a missing link between the classical language Wenyen that was more normal for chinese writing in the, in the long ago and, and baihua the kind of everyday use of chinese could you say more about guo's use of language in his uh, sure. translation of faust
1: yeah so basically chapter 2 is also a kind of preparation for for chapter 3 and in general if their you know history revolutionary history uh, considered as a uh, zeitgeist actually was experienced uh, uh, and recorded in Guo's translation and other uh, translingual practices, uh, practice as a kind of figuration of that traumatic discontinuity, uh, a, a sudden uh, a, a stop, uh, a kind of caesura and failures. It's not as uh, it's not as, as smooth as the term cai guys seems to indicate. Uh, so it's not a kind of essential triumph, you know, triumphal kind of progression toward uh, a goal at all. So uh, likewise, in language, I think Guomo, uh, I really want to be uh, uh, microscopic in Chapter 3 because uh, we really need to zoom in onto uh a, 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 a poetic, linguistic, uh, choices in this text uh of three decades in making. So the translation of uh, Goethe's Faust becomes a powerful uh, uh record of uh the change of Chinese poetic language over the most uh, uh traumatic one of the most traumatic uh, uh, uh revolutionary periods uh in modern Chinese history. Uh, and i think Guo tried to be a uh, 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 creative and flexible uh uh through and through but he also evolved quite a lot and uh, i recover some early kind of forgotten uh fragments of his uh uh, 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 uh uh translation of goethe's faust and we can see uh there his uh, uh poetic language is quite unstable and uh That was the age when uh, vernacular uh, new literature and the literary revolution was just at at its beginning. Mm -hmm. And then in uh, in 1927, when he finished his translation of Goethe's uh, Faust part one, uh, we see uh, he really uh, uh, felt uh, self-accomplished uh he became really confident in his language and uh indeed we saw some uh, uh we, we see some good examples of how a more vernacular but uh, uh elegant Chinese uh poetic language but it doesn't mean that this unstable nature of uh, a poetic language uh, uh disappeared and in his translation of Goethe's Faust part 2 Uh, uh, in which Goethe uh, mobilizes so many, so diverse uh, 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 forms of uh, European uh, uh, poetic traditions, Guo Moruo had to come up with some uh, 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 really uh, makeshift uh, solutions uh, in Chinese in order to accommodate the diversity of uh, uh, Goethe's uh, poetic experiments. So all these moments for me are really valuable because uh, 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 this is also part of uh, 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 a very important aspect of Chinese revolution. That is the transformation of the poetic language. Mm, mm. And well, and uh, Guo, as you
0: mentioned, is someone kind of uniquely equipped to uh, adapt himself to this sort of transformation because of his his training, his linguistic abilities right. and so on. But you're, you're dealing there, I guess, with two very uh, shifting fields of, of you know, a source in which uh, Goethe himself is experimenting with a lot of forms and, and uh, you know, deploying a lot of literary, uh, complex and diverse literary devices. And then Gore's sort of uh, out, output of, of, of a translation is also uh, dealing with a shifting field of language and and. and uh, everything else in a very very different co- context um so
1: yeah, yeah i i mean you know i i, I learned uh, german uh, back uh in my graduate school uh, uh at NYU uh, but I, I i learned it simply in order to pass my examination simply <laughs> in order to qualify for for a complete uh, 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 phd uh, uh examinations so mm. uh eventually why why work on uh When I worked uh, on on this chapter, you know, I I took pain uh, uh, was the two languages. Uh, You know, uh, I had to say, you know, uh, that's where uh, I learned a lot, and I eventually felt my own kind of uh, my own kind of linguistic existence enriched by Mm -hmm. both Goethe and Gomorrah. But I would like to leave it to. to the judgment of uh, of the, the, the reader, to to say whether Guomorua's translation is a successful one, especially mm-hmm. if we look back from today's perspective, you might find a lot of uh, a lot of uh, 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 kind of uh, uh, shortcomings uh, uh, in the hindsight. But if you compare to uh, Goethe's original, you started to have more and more kind of understanding of uh, Guomoru's decisions.
0: Right, right, and and in a way, looking at it in its own context, as you do, is what reveals that uh, that that complexity. Um, but uh, well, that's that's brilliant. We'll move on, perhaps to, to part two now, and uh, the more the sort of interpretive, um, uh, translingual, as you, you, you borrow this term from Lydia Liu, and and, and uh, the kind of um, yeah, an interpretive side of of, of Guo's activities and, and his politics creativity. creativity. Um, you start off uh, in chapter four by discussing his kind of <laughs> obsession really with uh, with history and with uh, quite distant pasts, even in a revolutionary era, which you also mention is in some ways something of an anti-historical period. Um, so w- what was this kind of obsession with the deeper history um, that, that you see in, in uh kind of mindset and how did it manifest itself in both his sort of creative output and also uh, his autobiography?
1: I think you know uh, in in the f- first chapter of part two, I really wanted to do something uh experimental, so in part one uh I cover the whole trajectory of uh Gomorro's translation of goethe's Faust uh goethe's tran- uh Faust that is uh fushido in chinese eventually uh, uh uh for us becomes an allegorical Field of uh, the revolutionary age, that is the the Chinese the Chinese revolution and its uh, 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 tensions really figured uh, fared, uh flared up uh, 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 in the field of language and translation. But I don't want to stop there. I I I I want to go further to to enlarge my scope to another mode of translation that is the translation between revolution and ancient history transla- translation between revolution and antiquity so yeah. this is ve- very counterintuitive uh, because you know i think that at least that's the case for my generation that we we got this conventional idea of uh, uh, the the whole uh, the whole process of the uh, the long chinese revolution was about how to fight how to negate uh Chinese tradition, especially its ancient heritage, but in the case of Gomorro, because Gomorro uh, was the best representative, best uh, or worst representative of uh, uh, this revolutionary spirit, uh, we we can start to ask then why you know Guomero was also so fascinated uh, uh, with antiquity, mm-hmm. and why he devoted himself. Uh, uh to the uh to a kind of really interesting leftist scholarship of antiquity that is not to entirely negate the antiquity but to transform the antiquity into a revolutionary discourse so i see that kind of transcoding also as a kind of translation that's that's definitely a kind of uh, conceptual leap forward I would like to take, but it's up to you to, to judge whether it's good <laughs> or not. But when he was writing his autobiography, he was uh, in doing, his Japanese ex- uh, doing his exile in Japan uh, in the late uh, 20s and early 30s. He was also doing his uh, uh, Marxist uh, uh, studies of uh, the pre-Qing period of China that is the period, the mythical, half-mythical, half-historical period of Xia, Shang, and Zhou. And he was working on his uh, uh, original uh, uh, contributions to uh, 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 archaeological phil- philology. So I wanted to bring these uh, two works into conversation in Chapter 4. And eventually, you see, basically, Guo Moreau was using... a the same kind of term- terminology, uh, writing both autobiography and historical scholarship.
0: Mm. That's uh, yeah. I mean that that gives a sense of the way that again those sort of things simultaneously, constantly, sort of yeah, in his in his mind and and, and yeah in, in what he's producing.
1: Yeah, yeah, and then in chapter four, you know, the question is that he used uh, 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 historical drama as a major kind of uh, genre. And he basically he re- reinvented this, uh, this modern genre of historical drama mm. at the service of revolution. Mm. And finally, in Chapter 6, it, was, it is about his translation of ancient Chinese poetry into vernacular Chinese uh, uh, poetry. So I think you know. Finally, in chapter six, I think I am again. I'm in my safe haven of translation <laughs> because you see, uh, between classical Chinese and vernacular Chinese, there is this uh, a transcoding process of translation. And for many people, will say, okay, that's totally common uh, common sense practice. That is, in, in order to understand classical uh, Chinese materials, you need uh, that kind of uh, vernacularization, but for Guo Moruo, it it was from classical Chinese poetry into vernacular Chinese poetry. He wanted to retain the poeticness mm-hmm. of of uh, uh, the classical language in mm-hmm. uh, vernacular translation. So that it, that was even more interesting and challenging. Mm-hmm. And that's where I see uh, 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 this kind of conversation transformation between. Antiquity and revolution also as a form of translation
0: right, and it is exactly as you said is a kind of conversation, i mean perhaps appropriately for a for a Marxist figure that there is a kind of dialectical exchange going on there where uh you, yeah, as you mentioned, you bring out in chapter five these allegorical reworkings, these plays that he kind of put together in the forties fifties, and sixties, which draw on rich classical themes but and and draw kind of concepts from them, but also inject into them. Ideas of the people, the Rémin, the, the, the kind of these revolutionary ideas that were current at the time, um, and and as you say, too, this this chapter six brings um, into sort of uh, curious di- dialogue or simultaneity almost these uh, ancient um, classical works of classical poetry. Um, I think one really interesting point you you make there is that uh, it's not so much the case that this is just an update or a, a bringing forward of these things, because of course uh, vernacular. Chinese as a written form has its own long history. It's existed simultaneously and for a long time. It's it's not just that it's a you know new version of the old thing. So it's a bit more complicated a process than just let's bring this forward into the new version of Chinese that we now have. Um, and I think you uh, yeah you highlight these things really really well and how how rooted they are uh, as we've discussed throughout in the in the moment in the time. Which is, uh, in which Gore is deeply embedded. Um, but finally, uh, in this sort of frame of the classical form and, and, uh, uh, and how it was so tangled up with Gore's politics, um, you bring out in the conclusion this dialogue with Mao that you uh, brought up right at the beginning and, and this, this sort of battle of, uh, of, of classical verse that the two were engaged with uh, right at the end of both of their lives um, could you say something about what this was and what what, what Yeah, it just seems like a novel quirk, uh, but but perhaps not so much given the longer history of Guo's uh, activities.
1: Sure, yeah, and that's also the most scandalous and most uh, perilous part of uh, Guo's life. That was uh, 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 his uh, poetic conversation with Mao Zedong uh, in the sixties and seventies, and uh, uh, you know uh, this uh, this uh, I, I i leave this question to 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 the to the very end of the book but that's where you know i think the theme of part 2 really uh, can be driven home that is uh why you know and this this has been on, on my mind all the time why the the chinese revolution the most radical wing of the chinese revolution was also deeply preconditioned in a self uh, in a in a constant reinterpretation of the ancient mm. so think about uh, why marx marxist uh, his historical uh scholarship was so important in the thirties. think about why uh, historical drama was so important in the forties and fifties and now in the sixties and seventies uh, Guo Moruo started this uh, 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 poetic conversation with Mao Zedong himself, and basically Mao made the initial uh, uh, move. And uh, from from the perspective of uh, uh, political uh, benefits, we can simply say, uh, "Good for you, Guo." You know, uh, Mao <laughs> Zedong liked you. But then, my question, you know, as uh, as someone who who's trained in uh, modern, uh, 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 Chinese modern modernism, uh, immediate, I, I got immediately alerted because Guo, you are the founding father of vernacular free verse Chinese modern poetry. And now you ended up writing classical style poetry with mm-hmm. Mao Zedong. Mm-hmm. And you remember that kind of poetic conversation was typical of... Uh, Literati, gentry, aesthetics, and lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And the most controversial part, of course, uh, came in 1973 when Mao Zedong wrote a poem criticizing Guomoru's leftist historical scholarship produced back in the 1940s. So this was not only the form. The form was classical Chinese uh, 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 poetic, qi lü. It was not only about the form, but also about the content, the Mm. subject matter of their conversation composed in poetic form. They Mm. were talking about the first emperor uh, uh, of Qin and then (laughs) Confucius, who was the true, quote-unquote, spirit of ancient Chinese times, the emperor or the Confucius, the sage. Mm. So they ended up talking about intellectual history and political history, but according to Mao and Guo, this highly uh, scholarly uh, ancient topic was also the most important subject matter for revolution. So Mm. there you see this uh, totally confusing combination of the ancient and the revolution. So that's why it's also very scandalous, because Mao's Mao's poem could be used and was used as the final verdict on intellectual, political and personal uh, uh, subject matters.
0: Mm, mm, Well, I think think that's right. It it does at first glance seem absurd and 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 uh deeply confusing but the fact that yeah as you say Qin Shi Huang and, and Confucius they're almost like living characters in the lives of 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 Mao and Guo at this point which seems so odd given the given the recent sort of or given what had happened in the decades up to that point um but I think you you help us really appreciate why you know you make it less of a scandal in a sense I mean you don't justify it but you do provide us with all the tools for understanding where this came from, it doesn't seem quite so strong.
1: Yeah, I th- I think that kind of anachronistic dimension of the Chinese Revolution uh, uh, needs to be brought up for further discussion.
0: Mm. Well, I think you you do a great job of that, and uh, we we haven't quite had time, of course, to delve into all the wonderful complexity and, and nuance of the book, and we've moved through chapters uh, chapters four to six, the second part, somewhat quickly there. But I hope that uh, listeners will will pick up a copy and really really delve into this. Uh, Work of tremendous richness and and, and fascination. Um, but uh, Pooh, in the meantime, uh, we have uh, taken up quite a bit of your uh, your time here uh, today. My pleasure. So, uh, before we go, though, I'll just ask, uh, what is it you're up to these days? I mean, what, what do you have uh, on 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 your plate uh, in 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 your yeah in your kind of current projects?
1: Uh, my current new project is uh, also kind of return to earlier interest, but also a kind of uh, a, a new path. So uh, during my uh, 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 Peking University years, I worked on uh, 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 modernist Chinese poets and some of them uh, 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 traveled quite a bit uh, during the wartime in the uh, late 30s and early 40s. uh, uh, And the poetic works they wrote during the uh, war and travel, Became uh, something uh, I worked on uh, mm. back then, but then uh, when working uh, on the Gomero project, uh, I started to uh, uh, read a lot of travel logs uh, uh, written by Gomero himself. But I didn't have a chance to discuss uh, the uh, Gomorro's travel writings in, in in my first book. So eventually, I started to 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 uh, conceive of my second book project as a uh, uh, a, a, a study of uh, travel writings uh, in the same uh, uh, time frame that is uh, uh, China's revolutionary decades mm-hmm. so that will be uh, my first uh, second project and uh, I'm still on a really uh, a early stage, uh, of archival research and textual uh, analysis, so uh, I would like to have you uh, any of your feedback. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's wonderful. That, that, you know, that I, I can't wait to see see the output of that because I think
0: that that will bring a uh, also a geographical diversity into what is already a, a topic of enormous scope. Um, but uh, that, yeah, fantastic, Paul. Thank you so much uh, for being on the show today. Um, it was thank it was you. Really excellent to have the chance to talk to you.
1: Yeah, my pleasure here.
0: And uh, listeners, thank you too for listening as ever to New Books in East Asian Studies. It's a podcast channel on the New Books Network and it will be back with you very soon. Goodbye.